Turn in your Bibles uh, to page 1574 if you're using the red Bible located underneath you, uh, but that is Mark chapter 12 if you're using your own Bible or your eye device or tablet or something electronic. Um, and as you turn there, I want to bring your attention to a few things before we get into God's Word. Uh, in your bulletin, your worship guide, your announcements, whatever you call it, if you could grab that and just wave it to me so I know you're pretending to listen to me, that'd be great. Wave it, wave it, wave it. Open it up. Watch how easy this is. There's a portion that says connection card uh, on the top. Go ahead and just pull that apart. Ready? Come on. Great. Well done, everybody. Now that you have that torn off of your bulletin, you can fill it out much easier, uh, and you can drop that in baskets as you leave today. But at the beginning of the year, we know that many of you have uh, grown in your faith, or your schedules have changed, or uh, for whatever reason, you now are interested or have the time uh, to get further involved in the ministries going on here at Redeemer. Uh, and so whether that's finding community, uh, deeper levels of community here through Bible studies or uh, groups. Uh, we've got a great women's event coming up. Uh, we've got classes that meet. Uh, or you want to find out more about Redeemer at our uh, steak and shrimp with staff. I know it's pizza with the staff. Uh, or um, you want to come to our FYI dinner and find out more about this church and how you can get plugged in. Or maybe you're sitting here going, I got all this time and energy, and I, I have this, clearly have this gift that God is stirring something up inside of me to use to bless my church. We have tons of opportunities and avenues in which you can serve here, uh, and, and tons of uh, local outreach groups as well that Gretchen deploys each and every week uh, in our community and surrounding communities. So, hey, fill this out and tell us about yourself and tell us how we can further connect you as a part of the family here at Redeemer. And then, as I said, drop that in the baskets as you leave today. Also, we tell you um, each and every week that there's a red Bible around you somewhere, and that helps us get on the same page, uh, literally, as we teach Scripture here. Uh, but I know that you may not want to walk out with those red Bibles, because clearly we use them every week. And so uh, we have Bibles in the back now, right in the middle of the sanctuary in baskets, and these are for you. So if you're here and you come each and every week and you open that red Bible and then you put it back, uh, and you don't have a Bible to take home, this is yours to take home. It's a gift from Redeemer. Uh, if you bring a friend and they don't have a Bible, or you work with somebody and you're sharing your faith with them and, and you're talking to them about Scripture, they have no idea what you're talking about, you want to give them the Word of God, one of the, the best gifts we can ever give somebody, take one of these home with you uh, today. Uh, whether you need it or somebody that you know needs it, that's a gift for you. And then lastly, um, to further get involved in, in your own personal discipleship and our life groups use right now media as well, but we have 10,000 uh, resources, Bible study resources, curriculums, uh, sermons on video, all sorts of great resources on this website for you, and it's free for you. All you got to do is email christy.tackett at rcctulsa.org. She'll kick you back your invitation. I hear of people that are using uh, this resource at red lights or in the line waiting for your kids at school or during your lunch break or your drive home, whatever. We have uh, plenty of invitations to send out for you to join Right Now Media, so please take us up on that um, and, and make this resource a part of your weekly and daily discipleship routine. Done with announcements. Uh, as you know, last week we began this new year with a new series, and it's called Love, but it's got this duh 
attached to it. Uh, and it's because we really feel like we can't fully love others um, the way that we're supposed to love others until we understand how much God loves us first. Once we understand how much God loves us, then we uh, can be a people that love others. So we know that we are loved. Last week, Bill gave a great message and encouragement that God is not indifferent about you, that you are deeply loved. Look at your neighbor and say, deeply loved. Now say, you are deeply loved. God is not in heaven with his hands on his hips and this vein popping out of his forehead. He's red in the face, mad at you. Uh, and, and Bill shared, if that's your idea of God, if somebody's conveyed to you that God is just this nasty being that's always ticked off at his creation, that you have the wrong God, that God is love and that he loves you, you are loved. Uh, in fact, you're deeply loved, intensely, profoundly, inexpressibly loved. If, if Joe Scruggs could sit down with you for 24 hours without a break, trying to explain to you how much you're loved by God, even he would come short of really fully articulating God's love for you. You are loved. But even still, life, life manipulates love a little bit. It changes the way we view love, perceive love, experience love, the way we think of it, and love becomes a little difficult to define, right? It could be this mysterious, intense feeling of deep affection. Synonyms include intimacy, attachment, devotion, adoration, worship, passion, desire, yearning, infatuation, many synonyms that portray the way you feel about the Cowboys or the Packers or the Chiefs or the Steelers. For those of you who don't care about any of that, many of you will be locked on the TV all afternoon. Love, love is everywhere. It really is. Some people truly believe that love is on Monday nights on ABC at 7 o'clock central as 28 young women compete for the love and affection of one bachelor. <clears throat> and that, my friends, um, while some of you, for a variety of reasons, believe that that's great entertainment, you may be sitting there going, I would never be on that show. Because something inside of you knows that love uh, can and should be found differently without competing with 27 other people for one guy's attention. Michael Bolton, he tells you all the time on the radio that he, he loved you, but it was a lie because uh, it was apparently more than love that he feels inside. Uh, but we love God. We love family. We love one another. We love football. We love our church. We love holidays. We love snow days. You have four kids. You don't love snow days. You have one kid. You don't love snow days. Uh, we love chocolate. We love puppies, don't we? We love puppies. And we look for love, and we fall in love, and we make love, and we love with all of our heart, and some fall out of love, and we love our children, and we love our neighbors. Some share stories of loving at first sight. Uh, we love to be loved, don't we? 
And in many cases, love is hard and complicated. Um, So truly, love in a variety of ways can be pure and cherished and unconditional. Uh, Love can also be complicated and frustrating and hard. And, And no matter what your ideas are, no matter what your experiences are, no matter what your ideas of love are because of what you've gone through in your past, the Bible clearly tells us and paints a picture of how we are to love God. Now, the Bible, of course, is a missional narrative, cover to cover. Every bit of this Bible is about God's love for humanity, His desire to reach and redeem all of mankind. This is a love story. This is how our story and our walk with Christ, our salvation and redemption in Christ Jesus is told, and it's about love. But we're also told in this text how we are to love God. 1 John 4.19 tells us that the only reason we can love in this lifetime, the only reason it is an intense, mysterious feeling that we have throughout this life, the only reason we can experience that is because Christ first chose to love us. And so our pouring out love to God is a response. It's a reaction. We don't wake up in the morning and go, God, I know you've never thought of love before. Uh, but I have this great gift to give you. It's my love and it's my affection. No, it's a response. It's us acknowledging this is what God has done for us. This is the love that God pours out for me. And in response to that love, I will love him. And so we're told in Mark chapter 12 how to love God. This is a picture in this chapter of hostility growing towards Jesus as different religious groups are asking him various questions, political questions, theological questions, and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to question his authority. They're trying to figure out, are you loyal to God or are you loyal to Rome? Who are you? What do you stand for? What do you believe? What do you profess? And in verse 10, we see Jesus drop this hammer on his listeners when he asks them a question. Have you not read the scripture? And this is kind of a comical slap in the face of these individuals' pride because these are religious people. These are what was known at the time as the religious elite. These are people that knew Scripture. These are scribes. These are people that were brought up knowing Scripture. And he says, haven't you read the Scriptures? And so the questions continue, and in verse 28, the scribe approaches Jesus and, and many scholars believe that while Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians were asking all these questions, trying to trap Jesus and question his authority, and maybe even they sent this scribe to Jesus to further question his authority, many scholars believe that this individual that we see in this picture um, was genuine, that he approached Jesus and he was an honest seeker. He really brought this question forward and he was ready to hear the truth, not to test or question Jesus. And so this guy in verse 28, teacher of the law, comes, hears him debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, hey, of all the commandments, of every single one of them, which is the most important? And this seems like a rather daunting question because there's 613 of them that we find in Scripture. And they're even broken down. People knew that 248 of them were positive commandments. Hey, this is, this is how you ought to live. These are things that you ought to do, similar to the way you speak to your children. You, you do these things and you don't do these things. 365 were negative 
commandments. Don't do these things. These are the things to pursue. These are the things to avoid. And this long list of instructions and and commands, they incorporate a, a variety of topics, tons of topics, relationship to God, Uh, The temple, the way we interact with the temple, priests, sacrifices, rituals, purity, the Sabbath, animals for consumption, festivals, community, idolatry, and war, and family dynamics, and justice, civil liabilities, blasphemy, Dietary laws, agriculture, loans, business, treatment of slaves, and forbidden relationships. Which one? Jesus, tell me, which one's the most important? Most important one, he says in verse 29, is this. Hear, O Israel. He begins by saying, the Lord our God is one. The Lord, the Lord. Everybody say, the Lord. This is a monotheistic essence of God being portrayed in Scripture. He is the Lord. There is no competition in comparison to our God. He is the one true God. And when he says, hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, in Hebrew. Everybody say that. Shema Yisrael. Great. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael. This is known as the Shema. This is a passage of Scripture that is, it's central. It's vital in tradition. It it was prayed in every single prayer circle. It was prayed first thing in the morning. It was prayed last thing at night. These were the last words to leave their lips before they would rest in the evening. These were the first words that they would portray from their heart, belief in this passage when they woke up in the morning. This is the first passage that parents would instruct their children to memorize at a very young age. Hear Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is the Lord. He has no competitor. He is God. So the command comes in verse 30. Love him. Love Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And so our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength Love love Him with all of those things, our heart. Love God with your passions. Love God with your affections. Love God with your will and your perception. Love God with your ambitions. Let everything about your heart line up and align with Him. Love God with all your soul. That's our longing and our yearning through prayer. That's when we get on our knees in desperation and prayer and we cry out to the Father. With all of our soul, we love him. This intimate connection between the creator and the creation. Coming together in the way that we love with our soul and our mind, our intellect, our thoughts, our attitudes, our commitment to keep perspective in all things in life. 
Our commitment to live this life reasoning, not out of emotion, but reasoning biblically, understanding in my mind, I'm going to set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, as Paul says. This is loving God with all of our mind. And our strength is not just our physical bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit, this outer shell that we're given temporarily, but it's our spiritual intensity. It's our spiritual energy. It's not growing complacent. It's, it's committing as a people to concentrate deeply on the Father with our strength to, to, to love Him and in in our energy, our concentration. And I'm just going to tell you from a personal opinion, the most intimidating part of this entire commandment is maybe the shortest word. All. All. Because really... If you're married, you know there's days that you don't love your spouse with all your heart and all your mind and all. I mean, we fail each other all the time. We fail in the way that we love one another, don't we? We don't love perfectly. We have flaws in the way that we love one another. And we certainly have flaws in the way that we love strangers. But the invitation and the command here is to love God with all, not some of our heart, not a portion of our soul, not part of our mind, and not half of our strength, but all, every bit, God would be supremely and exclusively and earnestly loved by you and me. And friends, the more we try to approach this concept of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more we put that into practice, the more we commit to letting God work on our hearts and teach us what that looks like, the more this is not just a command we obey, but it's a description of who we are. It's when the faith that we possess starts possessing us, that everything we do is laced with our faith in God, resulting in loving Him. Our entire life, heart, soul, mind, and strength, displaying our allegiance and our love for God. Now notice, notice it says uh, in verse 31, love your neighbors yourself. This is the second most important commandment. Well, the scribe didn't ask Jesus. Jesus just threw that out for free. He just went ahead and said, hey, now that you're gonna commit to loving God, with all, you need to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. So let's get into verse 31. Not really, that's next week's topic. But love your neighbor, think about that this week as we prepare to have that conversation next week here. Before I close, I wanna share something with you that really frustrates me. I mean, it really, really irritates me. Um, and maybe you can relate. When I get on the highway, when I'm driving, and I'm on a road trip, whether it's an hour drive or, you know, when you go from two to four kids, you drive everywhere. You don't fly anymore. And so we get on the road. We're going to see my in-laws in Chicago, going to meet somebody in Colorado, whatever. I set the cruise control right about 90 miles an hour. <clears throat> You know, I tell my wife, just play like three and a half movies. I'll have us there. So there I go down the highway, 
And inevitably, I look in the distance and I see two semi-trucks. And they're both in the right lane. And so should I have things my way, I'm going to get up to them, I'm going to zip by them, right? They may not even know I'm there. And it's like the second truck times his lane change for my approach. It's like he's watching in his rearview mirror, and he's like, <laughs> look at that little Toyota Camry. He puts on his blinker, and I grip the wheel. And my wife's like, shh, calm down. And then he gets over, and for the next 18 minutes, he tries to pass the other semi. And I sit there at a really unsafe distance to his rear bumper, and I tell my wife all these thoughts I have about certain hours of the night that semis should be able to drive. She tries to calm me down, but when I finally get to pass him, I'm not proud of this, and I hope I don't lose your respect for the sake of vulnerability this morning, but sometimes I honk and sometimes I lay on the horn because this driver has interfered with what was an exceptional travel plan. The point is this, what happens on I-44 happens in our spiritual life. You're headed somewhere, you know where you're going, you have a plan and something slows you down. Something frustrates you. You wanna love God. Every bit of your heart cries out for the Father. You want to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Your soul is crying out in prayer. You're sharing your yearnings with the Father, this intimate connection between creator and creation, it's there. Oh, and your strength, your concentration, your energy is set on him. But something gets in the way. And you can even see it coming sometimes, way in the distance. And so then you brace yourself and you prepare yourself for impact, don't you? Something slows you down. Maybe today there's something in your way of loving God with all of who you are. Maybe it's a relationship or some sort of obstacle that's pestering you, frustrating you, consuming your thoughts. Maybe you're afraid of something. You're fearful. Guys, I, I felt something this week that filled me with fear. I talked to somebody in the Welcome Center this morning about it. It filled me with fear. And my thoughts were on that situation rather than on the goodness of the Lord, the love of God. Maybe it's something you're worried about. Maybe you're anxious about something. Something's stealing your sleep. You can't focus on God because much less can't get a good night's rest. Or maybe it's depression or addiction or, or maybe there's some sort of secret in your life. Some shame that you feel from a mistake you made 30 years ago or, or three days ago. Uh, but there's something holding you back, a regret that you feel, some, some pain in your heart or your spirit. Or maybe you've gone through some sort of unthinkable trial and you feel doubtful today or you're insecure today. 
But maybe for you, when you hear this command to love the Lord your God with all, you just can't wrap your mind around it because something's in your way. You can't supremely or exclusively or earnestly love God because of some hurdle or obstacle. And so God gets some of your heart. God gets a portion of your soul. God gets a part of your mind. God gets half of your strength. And this morning, my invitation to you is to realign your heart with God and to give him all to cast that burden aside, to put that hurdle out of your sight and to focus your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength on the Lord. Discipleship is hard, right? Uh, spiritual disciplines and practices of setting your alarm to get up early and to pray and to read your Bible, to fast, to give, to have solitude in your life, to honor the Sabbath, whatever it is, that those things are hard, right? Those are work. But to acknowledge that God loves us and then to step forward and respond to his love by loving him in return, that's not work, that's worship. And so my invitation to you today is, first of all, if there's a hurdle in your way, knock it over. Run past it. You're not meant to jump those. And by the way, if that hurdle is something that you're ashamed of, I've got beautiful news for you. To love God, to worship God, there's nothing that you have to fix about yourself. You don't need to do a thing this morning in your own heart, in your own life, in your own habits. You don't have to fix anything about who you are in order to love God, in order to come and to worship. Come as you are. Maybe, maybe you love God, you've loved him for a long time. Maybe you've loved God since you were a child, but it's been a long time since you've told him. And as your dad, he's looking at you, he knows you love him, but it's just been a bit since you've told him, since you've expressed that love and that adoration and that affection that you have for him. And as we worship this morning, maybe this is your time for the first time in a long time to tell God how much you love him. And maybe you've been searching and seeking and looking and longing. And you know, we just went through this Christmas season where you hear so much about the birth and life and purpose of Jesus and, and you're ready. You've never told God that you love him before, but you're ready. And this morning can be that moment for you to really cry out and worship and say, God, I do, I love you. So let's worship and let's express that he is supremely and exclusively and earnestly loved in our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. Let's not sing a song, okay? And let's not just read lyrics, let's not Maybe even do the usual, check the watch, when's lunch, where's lunch, but let's abandon ourselves, abandon you, and fix your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength on the Lord today. Would you stand to your feet, let's worship and let's love God. Let's love God.